0: chapter 3. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the elders here, and it's my pleasure to bring you a message from our text in this series. Uh, wasn't it a joy to have uh, the children in here today? Doesn't, doesn't it bring a, a, just a little special kind of flavor? And we look at them, and we adore them, don't we? There's something very precious about them. And part of why we chose to do that today is end of term, and we'd like to do that Going forward, end of each term, we hear a little bit from the kids and what they've sort of been learning. But we wanted to do it as a visual to think this is God's love towards us. It's a picture. It's, it's an incomplete picture because we're humans. But it's but it's some degree. It gives us some idea of what the Father thinks when He looks at us. And John is doing this letter, and he into a little like a little little um, song or something or other in this little space he, j- he just gets really excited and he wants to he wants to pour something out and hope to capture a little bit of the joy that he brings in the message that he wants, but he wants you to think about where you stand before God. Not everybody is a child of God. John writes this letter because he says, I, I, I want you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you would know that you have eternal life. He doesn't want you to be left in some sort of doubt. It's the most joyous thing that you could know, but you have to know correctly with it. So let's read our text and consider what he's saying to us today. He says this. we are call it walking as children. I'm reading from the Berean Study Bible. I'll explain a little bit why I, uh, shortly why I'm doing that, but I, I, it's an interesting one to translate this little text, and I'll explain a couple of little technical things. But just listen to this. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. Just remind anybody of a song that we used to sing, <laughs> All right? It's great, good truth. We should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, just as Christ is pure. I want to read it from um, uh, the, the Maori Bible. It's called the Te Paipira Tapu. It was translated in 1868. And uh, this is, it's a rough, rough the English on the, on the other side there that roughly lines up. It says this, Kia kete kato, e titikanga O aroha, you're recognizing some words in here? E ho ne e te matua, kia tato Ara kia hua nai, huana, tato here tamariki ne te atua. Tamariki, children, na te atua, God. Right? Now, it's interesting in there... I I think they nailed this, right? Because there's the word there, what manner. Now, in your translations, a number of you will have, see what great love the Father has. It's not a bad translation, see, behold, right? I think behold just kind of elevates it a little to another kind of level. But the question is, what is this word manner, right? So it's saying that this object is God's love. That's what we're thinking about. And it's not saying it's not great, but what John has in mind, this word manna here, is actually what we would call an idiom when they translate it across. An idiom is like, if I say to you, it's raining cats and dogs, what do you think? There's cats and dogs hitting the roof of our facility here? No, you're not. There's some sort of little inside sort of thing. You just think it's raining heavily, don't you? Now, that word in the original thing, means this, of another country. What does that mean? What does it mean that God's love is of another country? So it's it's saying, what kind is it? What manner does it have to it? That's why I think the word tikanga is really helpful in this way. We talk about a tikanga, or you go to a marae and you'll have ways and practices of, of how they go about things. We use the, the, the word a bit more regularly. We had to write our, I'm part of the Leamington Community Gardens group, right? And we had to write our, our society, um, incorporated society, and we wrote what our tikanga is, our way of being, what drives us, what motivates us, what motivates our kind of practice. We might say here, to use a more modern idiom, is of what planet is this love from? Of what planet does this love of God come from? Because it's unfamiliar. See, so often what we do is we we hear the love of God, we take a worldly, secular view of love, and then we go, oh, God must be a bit of an improved version of that. John's saying something entirely different. He's saying, check this out. Behold, what kind of love is this that the Father has given to us? That I, John, a sinner, a rebel against God, is now called a child. You've you, you got to get this. If you think you are deserving of God's love, you're starting from the wrong point. Someone talked about it. There's two types of people who sit in a church. I don't, don't want to kind of do it in just a division kind of way, but you understand what I mean with it. Imagine when you get used to get paychecks. You know, you'd get them in the envelope and it would either be a check or... Remember when I was a paper boy, I'd get that, you know, my one dollar and sixty-seven cents, and it would rattle around in my thing. Imagine if you got that and you pulled it out, and you go, "Behold, what money that I have got! How unbelievable that I have been given this!" No, you don't. You pull it, you go, you go. Another day, another dollar. I earned this, yeah, and it'll be gone. I earned this, didn't I? So there's a different way that you receive that because you believe that you have earned it. And so much of our problem comes in our Christian faith is that we view God as our our employer and we are deserving of the salary that has been given to us. John doesn't. John here goes... Who am I? Who am I? Who is this Father who comes with a love that so graciously gives it to me so undeserved? And when he gets that objective truth, he cannot believe it. And so the feeling that he gets is enacted by having the truth embedded deep properly in his soul. This is the main concept that I want to bring out. We're going to explore it from a, number, a couple of different angles as we, as we look through it. But let's just, a, a little bit later in, in this letter, he explains a little bit more what this love looks like. So this is First John. Uh, 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Here he defines this this, this love, this other planetary love, this out of this world love. He says, is this love not that we loved God? But in spite of our not loving God, He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is what John says is an otherworldly love and we have to start from that point and then we will understand what love is and we'll be able to see the counterfeit of what that love inappropriately looks like in our world. let's come back here and have a look. He says, you are children of God. That's what you are. And then he says something interesting. He goes, you know, the reason the world doesn't know us, have you ever felt out of place in this world as a Christian? Have you ever felt like you were a foreigner or an alien or there's stuff that you kind of understand that your operating system and the world, just the way that you view life, the way that you view money, the way that you view relationships has all been changed because of Jesus Christ. And it feels like people don't get it. It's not that they don't like you or anything like that. It's just that when you try and explain something of what motivates you underneath it all, they don't get it. And he says this, they don't know you because they don't know him. And they don't know him and his love and this love that has a different operating system in it. He's defined this a little bit earlier to us in 1 John 2. He says, well, how does this world operate in kind of what, what drives it, what motivates it? Where does it get this idea of what kind of love sits there in the world? He says this. Back in in chapter 2, he says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, so he's saying this is what motivates and drives so much of what sits in the world. And this was us. So when I read this, I am not going in a condemnatory way. This is me, (laughs) right, when I read this. It says this, the last of the flesh, the last of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now this is the air we breathe. It's the water we swim in. It's all around us. It's everywhere in the messages that we are getting. It comes from within me as well. It it, it doesn't need a lot of encouragement from the world. It's it's within me, and it just says this. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. I deserve, I take, I consume. I want, I want, I want. And we don't even realize that that is an operating system often that sits within our soul. And so what happens is I come to a concept like the love of God, and I have this operating system that sits in me, and I go, wow, isn't that great? The love of God. God loves me. But he doesn't like that part of you because it's the world that's driving you. But when we start from that place and we go, this is what love looks like kind of in our world, then we start looking for an approving God. Do you see what happens? I want God to approve of me. I want God to approve of the things that sit underneath me and the things that I get up to and I do. Don't want to hit a nerve here, <laughs> but it's the reality. John is saying this is what drives and motivates and pushes our world. It's the love that exists in the world. And then he comes along, and what does he find? Well, Let's go back. Then he comes along, and he finds a love from the Father represented in the Son, Jesus Christ. And what do we recognize in the way that Jesus Christ loved? It's not an I want, I want, I want, I want, I demand, I take, I consume kind of love. What is it? It's a self-sacrificing love, isn't it? It's about righteousness and commitment. It's about giving to the other. Which we see this in the, in, when Jesus is there and he's, he, he knows he's going to the cross and he goes, man, is there any other way? <laughs> this is going to be physical and emotional and spiritual torture. God, is there any other way? He goes, yet what? Yet not my will, but yours be done. This is an otherworldly love that enters into this space. And so John is saying, he says, behold See, I want you to see and to get this love that the Father, and listen to that, gives to us that we should be called children of God. Now, one of the things that operates in our world is we hate to be um, identified by somebody else. We hate the idea that I will be called and framed by somebody. In our world, we say, I define who I am. and Yet God comes in and goes, actually, I want to tell you something. Your definitions aren't that great. I want to introduce you into a place of freedom. And the place of freedom is found in this. You are created. Yeah, you've fallen away and rebelled. But I want to bring you back into the family. And as you come back into the family by f- uh, re- repentance and confession, that's the, the, the way that we do it. We've already seen this in Scripture, right? If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. So He says this in the space of what we are going to be. And then He says something very interesting He says, these people who get this purify themselves. Isn't that interesting? All the way through here, all the way through in this letter, he always connects this relational and forgiveness idea with uh, things like obedience and purifying ourselves and committing ourselves to righteousness. He's saying, these things don't cause us to be children of God. I'm a child of God because I have been forgiven through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what makes me a child of God. But, but if I don't get that deep within my soul, I make no changes. And he wants you to know, well, actually, actually, something very different should have changed in you. And it should look different. See there, beloved, we are now children of God. It's verse 2. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. It's not a shock, that is it, right? We're not all that we should be. John is saying here, this is not about perfection. This is about direction. There's a commitment there within you that I want to go after righteousness and obedience and purity. Words that are not popular in our world but the the driving thing that should be there in the life of a Christian. This is what John is saying. And he says, one day, one day, you will be all that you are meant to be. And it will be when Christ appears, and with an unveiled face, with a purity in my soul, I will be able to receive the joy of seeing Jesus face to face. What a hope. What a hope that is. And so he says there, everyone who has that hope, they're motivated by that hope. Because that hope is connected with the purity that will happen in your life, that you will be righteous before Jesus Christ. And so if that is the hope that is in you, then what am I going to want to do in my life? I want to live a life of purity. I don't want to be driven anymore by a selfish, consuming, pride-filled, lustful life. doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to get it here, but I'm going to want to have that as my motivation in it. And so he says, that hope, put it in front of you, set it before you. And when you have that hope, when you understand you're a child of God and you have this hope promised for you in the future, it makes a difference in your everyday life. Everyday life. What motivates you? What motivates you to get up in the morning? What motivates you with your money? What motivates you with your relationships? What motivates with what you do with your time? It changes you. Again, I say, it's direction, not perfection. But he's saying, this is what happens when someone is taken hold by this otherworldly worldly. Love of God demonstrated in the self sacrificial life and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never known that love, then there's one thing you need to do today. It's well, there's two things they're connected up you, re- you confess and you repent, you say, I confess, Lord, that this worldly love and op- way of operating is what has controlled my life and I don't want it. I want to know this otherworldly love and you. And so you confess and you repent of that. You see, it's changed your mind about it. You say, because of what Jesus Christ has done, will you forgive me? Will you take me into that place in your family where I am your child? And that's the promise of the scriptures. That's what happens to you. And then we walk into that space where we learn what righteousness and commitment and purity is. For some of you here today, you know this. You know this message. And maybe there's a drift there. You you, you forget who you are. You know, I forget that I'm a child of God. I forget this hope that sits in me. And I can see that drift that's kind of gone in it. Maybe today you just need to go, thank you so much for that hope. Oh, this way of love. Lord, will you reignite it in me that I will be motivated by honoring you with my life and purifying myself and my soul. This message Is so beautiful. It's so joyful. It's so encouraging and full of hope in a world that has none. (laughs) Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words. Lord, as John looked at this love and he realized that this is just a love that he had no knowledge of, no concept of in a world that, that talks and speaks so differently, that makes so many empty and false promises, tell so many lies, in comes the truth. There's a Father, God, who loves us so much and then sends and shows us that love in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for anybody here in this room, Lord, that today has been a reminder of that. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to renew that hope that they have in you. Renew it deep within their soul that they are motivated each and every day to live lives of purity, of righteousness, of commitment, Of obedience, Father. If there's anybody here who does not know the love of the Father that's found in Jesus Christ, Lord, I just I'll leave it silent now for ten seconds, Lord. There's a prayer that some people in this room want to say to you, that they want to know you as their Father. Father, thank you for this truth. May it infuse our soul and control our lives. Amen.